Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Hi, everyone. Welcome to I Communicate, the Mindset Go radio show, and uh, good to have you back with us. Uh, today, we're talking about, we're actually continuing uh, our series we talked last week. We're calling it the Reading Between the Lines series. And uh, last week, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, clients and knowing when a client is in jeopardy of being lost and different proactive steps you can take to prevent losing a client. But this show is always about communication, and we're really trying to always teach you overarching communication strategies, templates, provide tools on how to be a better communicator. And last week we talked about what the phrase, what the phrase reading between the lines even means. And we talked about how it's about we're always in such a rush now. Time, time is our biggest commodity. We talk about that on the show a lot. And there's an attention to detail that is needed when you're reading between the lines. But you have to slow down enough and you have to actually notice things, not just read things or not just listen to things. You actually have to notice and not just read and you have to hear and not just listen. And so I try to teach clients often about these concepts called pre-brief and debrief. And pre-brief is taking 10 or 15 minutes before an important conversation, an important meeting a presentation, an interaction that you have to have to take the necessary time to think about how you want to communicate. What are the words you want to use? What is the tone you want to use? If it's something that's visual, what is the body language that is important to model and recognize? But it's actually more than that, right? The pre-brief is also about understanding the why and how to motivate and influence people to understand about what their motives are and how you will be able to overcome their pushback and their challenges. So that's pre-brief. Debrief is what you might expect already. Debrief is doing an evaluation after the fact. Did you do what you were supposed to do? Did you do what you had envisioned being able to accomplish? And part of debrief is actually having a set of criteria or a template of sorts to assess or check against to know if you were able to accomplish what you desired. And what I see very often in life, not just in the workplace, in life is we don't really have a template to check against. And when you don't have the template to check against to see how you effectively communicated with someone, the problem is we tend to default to the negative and we tend to default to the things that we didn't do as opposed to recognizing the things that we did do. Now today, in part two of Reading Between the Lines, we're going to shift our topic a little bit to reading between the lines and sales, and we're going to start with written communication. And I want to walk through an email that I'm going to use as an example for the show today, and I want you to listen to the lines of the email, and I want you to understand how to read between the lines in this email. Now, just to set up some context to what we're talking about today this is an example of an email a client of mine got from received from a prospect that he was hoping to do business with. And the way he had left things with the prospect was that the prospect was going to review the information that he had presented 
and let him know whether or not he would move forward. And this is the email that he received back from the prospect. And I want you to know, I'm going to read the email entirely, and then we're going to read between the lines and dissect it to show how powerful communication can really be. So the email said, and I'm not going to use any names, but I'm going to say, it said, good morning. And this is the prospect talking to my client now. I thought I should talk to John about this to see what his thoughts are. I know he's going in a million directions and has several projects going on. I questioned him about your program to see if he is actually interested at all in it. I'm sorry to say he is not interested right now or in the future for that matter. I just don't want to see you waste your time or mine if there isn't a chance of us doing business together. Thank you for your time and knowledge. If anything ever changes, I or John will reach back out to you. So, I know that's a lot to listen to. You're not staring at anything, but understand that it was clearly a rejection email, right? We can all glean that for starters. But there's all kinds of things. When you talk about reading between the lines, the word I use is autopsy. And when I think about an autopsy, an autopsy is done to understand the cause of death, right? That's why we do an autopsy. So why can't we do autopsies to understand the loss of a client? An autopsy to understand why someone is angry. An autopsy to understand why a prospect told you no. And before we dissect this email again a little bit, I want to stress something very important here. When, I, when you ask a typical salesperson why they lost a deal, not only will they typically default to it was a money issue or it was a budget issue as the primary culprit for why the deal didn't go through, but if you ask them to expand on that and say what else could it have been, not only do they struggle to answer, but if they were to assess and go back to the conversations written and verbal they've had with that prospect prior, it's very likely their notes weren't all that descriptive or comprehensive enough to truly understand where they dropped the ball or where something fell through or where something was missed. And the fact of the matter is that not only is it so rare deals fall through with price, but actually the primary reason deals fall through is because they weren't qualified properly in the first place and or not enough value was established for the price. That's a very big difference than losing a deal on price as you didn't establish enough value with the prospect. So with that said, let's do this autopsy and let's see where the mistakes were made by just reading this email. Well, the first sentence says, I thought I should talk to John about this to see what his thoughts are. Well, for our listeners, John is the business owner in this case, okay? So that means that this prospect had to get approval from the business owner for this deal to go through. So my first question to my client was, did you know he wasn't the primary decision maker? So one sentence in the email tells me that there's another step in the process and there's another person involved. And if you aren't aware of, A, how a decision is going to be made and who is going to be involved in the decision, you've got a problem. 
Now, a lot of people may be listening going, oh, Mark, I know that. You know, I know to find out about the decision maker or the decision makers. I already know that. Well, that's fine that you know it. But the question isn't whether you know you need to ask the question or find out who's involved. The question is, when you find out that there's other decision makers involved in the process, do you know how to educate your prospect to inform the other decision makers and to help motivate and influence the very people you're not going to be able to get in front of. So it's not just as simple as do you know to ask the question is if you get the answer that there's others involved that you can't connect with, how do you help motivate and influence those people? How do you turn your prospect into a champion for you or for the solution or for the product or the service? So, The simple point, I thought I should talk to John about this to see where his thoughts are. And if you read that line closely, if you had known that John was involved in the decision-making process as the sales prospect, why would he have said it that way? He would have said, so just so you know, I spoke to John as we've discussed, or I've already spoke with John and here's what he had to say. But, But the fact that he said, I thought I should talk to John... That sounds like that's an awareness he either had after your interaction or just didn't share or you didn't ask. So one sentence into this email, there's a lot of conclusions that can be drawn by reading between the lines. Second sentence, I know he is going in a million directions and has several projects going on. Jasmine. You are not a salesperson, but you've been involved in sales situations. So if you, were, if you were talking to a prospective client and that that person said, well, we can think about it, but I know we're involved in a lot of different things going in a million different directions, a couple of things. What would you be thinking and what would you say next if a person had just told you that? Well, I would definitely be concerned about making the sale, but at the same time, I'm concerned as to why I'm not making that sale. Um, Generally, with the business that I've done in the past, I'm an independent contractor, so the thing that I'm selling is myself. So for me, it's more, you know, what have I done wrong to make this person feel this way, or what did I say that wasn't in my best interest to make sure that they understand, you know, that I am a professional person, that I am someone who can be trusted and who can come into their home and take care of them as a home health aider, who can go to their house and appraise an antique and let them know that this is the real value of it or, you know. So, um, but Jasmine, what I'm asking though is what would you glean if, if you were watching me, if you got to spy on me, and you heard the other person say to me, I, the person's going in a million directions and has several projects going on. You would hold up a sign saying, Mark, they're trying to tell you something. What are they trying to tell me? They're trying to tell you that they have too much on their plate, that they're overwhelmed, that they need help organizing, prioritizing, figuring out you know, what direction to actually go in. Right. So key word there is they need help prioritizing because what I'm presenting is not a priority to them. Right. Right. That's what someone's saying to you. Right. Exactly. So the question is, if you're receiving an email like this and you're in sales, here's what you have to ask yourself. Someone says, I know they're going. My boss is going in a million directions and has several projects. Then you need to understand before you go much further. Is this a priority at all? And if so, when? Right. 
So there's a lots of ways to react when someone says, I'm going in a million directions and there's several projects going on. I'm going to tell you an ideal way to react when we get back from the break. But again, the key is understand the ultimate message being communicated. So for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate, and we're talking about reading between the lines. Um, in part two of reading between the lines, we're talking about sales. And so here's what I want you to think about. Here's where we left off. I know he's going in a million directions and has several projects going on. Well, so the first thing is sales emotional intelligence. A typical salesperson may hear that and give up and stop asking questions and say, why bother pursuing this? They've clearly told me this is not a priority. So the question is, do you want to keep push, pushing forward? Do you want to pay attention to the sign and adapt your approach as a result of the new information you just learned? Now, the second thing is, if you've just learned this after the fact, remember, this is an email back from a prospect to my client saying the decision that they've made. So if they're just telling you now that the owner of the company is going in a million directions, then you didn't clarify whether this was a priority to them in the first place. What really strikes me about salespeople is one of the fundamental things that I think is often missed is the buying cycle, the sales cycle. If you're selling a particular product or service that could be a repetitive buy or it could be a buy that happens every few years, and I'm going to give you a perfect example, my own, right? When I call companies about professional development and training for their leadership sales or service teams or HR departments, well, if they typically budget in October and November and I'm calling in March to see if they want to do training programs, they've already made their decisions in most cases for 2021. So they may express a lack of interest. They may say it's not a priority. They may say we're running around in too many directions, but that actually doesn't mean they're not interested. It means that it may, I may have called during the wrong time in the buying cycle. This is really critical because sometimes when people give you signals and you need to read between the lines about what they're, writing, what they're really saying, you need to ask a few more questions to truly understand and not make assumptions and jump to conclusions. So again, in my perfect example, when someone says something along the lines of that it's not a priority right now, I come back with a couple of different things. I come back and I'll say, Pro, proactively, before it even gets to the time where they may push back and say it's not a priority, I ask them up front where this is as a priority. You know, is training, is professional development a priority? Right? But that's actually not even really a good question because it's so vague. Now, the HR director or the C-suite executive or the head of sales may say, you know, we already have a solution in place or, you know what, boy, we, we have too many things going on right now to consider training, right? But the real question isn't so much do you see training as a priority. It's to help the person understand the areas they may be deficient or the core competencies the sales or leadership teams may be lacking 
And what are the consequences of not having those core competencies? What are the consequences of the deficiencies that exist? And maybe it should become a priority. So when you ask someone on a peripheral level if something's a priority, well, the mere question itself, if they don't understand the benefit of what your solution, your service, your product can deliver, no, they won't see it as a priority. It's your job to educate them and help them recognize why it should then become a priority. So in this case, not only was the prospect statement clear that it wasn't a priority, it was also clear to me that my client never really ascertained from the get-go what the pain centers were and if those would intend in turn lead to making it a priority. So we're two sentences into this email And there's all kinds of questions and conclusions that can be made. Then the next line, how about this for polarizing, right? I questioned him about your program to see if he's actually interested at all in it. Well, first of all, I want to describe the word champion. The word champion means if someone's going to champion your product or your service, they are going to recommend it to the other decision makers. So if there are other decision makers involved and your interaction's over, you better make darn sure that the person who's given you their ear, their attention, that's listened to you, is your champion. One of my favorite questions to ask to a prospective champion is, are you going to recommend this solution to the other people involved in the decision? Like, it seems like such a basic question, but that's just it. Most people don't ask it. So when you say, are you going to recommend, there's only one acceptable answer, listeners. And that answer is absolutely, for sure. Because what happens if your prospect then says, probably, or yeah, I think so. I'm leaning that way. Well, then they're not your champion because then they still in turn have some reservations that you haven't even uncovered yet. And just the wording of, I questioned him, meaning your prospect questioned the owner of the company about the program. He didn't say, I recommended your program. He didn't say, I advocated for your program. He said, I questioned him, which means he doesn't seem to have a lot of buy-in or vested interest himself for this program to go forward. And he's bringing it up as an idea to the owner of the company, not as a recommendation or a suggestion. I questioned him. And then, listen to the words. This is not an accident, ladies and gentlemen, to see if he is actually interested at all. He didn't say to see if he's interested. He could have just said to see if he's interested. He didn't say that. Actually interested at all. There's a reason why people choose words like that. They're trying to send you a message to leave them alone. They're trying to send you a message that you didn't state, you didn't make your case. They were never bought in in the first place. They weren't about to recommend it to their boss because they were never bought in. And when people say interested at all, there's something definitive behind those words. And I don't care if you're involved in sales. We're all salespeople. By the way, 
We've talked about that over and over on this show over the years. We are all salespeople. You can you can hate the word sales. You can you can associate pushy and aggressive with the word sales. Knock yourself out. There are salespeople who are pushy and aggressive. So yeah, that's true in some cases. But our job on earth, we are always in position to motivate and influence people, whether it's our kids, whether it's our family, whether it's our coworkers, whether it's peers, whether it's bosses, you know, whether it's people that report to you, you know, we're always in position to motivate and influence. It starts as kids. When you negotiate a bedtime, can I stay up later? Yep, you just became a salesperson. You're influencing. So when I see words like to see if he's actually interested at all, actually at all, you have to slow down enough to see those words. And if you're in a leadership position and someone on your team has sent you an email about a challenge they're having, read the words, read between the lines. What is the message this direct report is giving you? You know, what is the message? What do they really want you to know and understand from the words they're choosing if it's written communication? And we're, go, we're, we're you know, so many people start their day and depend on replying to emails and sending emails as a primary tool for productivity. And when you're busy checking things off your list, read, respond, check off the list to do items, you don't often pre-brief. You don't often take the time to read the actual message being conveyed by a prospect, by a client, by a direct report, by your boss, by a peer. It all goes with it. So it's, it's just so important that when we do ROI associated with taking time to listen very carefully to the message people are trying to convey and read between the lines to the written message being conveyed or read the body language, read between the lines to the body language that's being conveyed, there's a huge ROI to that. It's called clarity. It's called better problem solving and decision making. So when we come back for our next segment, we're going to finish up this email And we're going to expand our discussion on autopsies and reading between the lines. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. And the number to call in is 508-871-7000. We're talking about reading between the lines and written communication. And uh, where we left off, we're, we're going to finish this email I've been using as a teaching tool for this podcast or this radio show. And um, we're going we're gonna to finish with the last couple of lines. So the, last, the last, second to last line is, I'm sorry to say he is not interested right now. You ready for this, Jasmine? Listen to this. Not just he's not interested right now or in the future, for that matter. So he's made an infinite decision that this is never, ever, ever for the history of life going to be valuable for him. So think about that. 
not interested now or for that matter. Now, Jasmine, I've got a tough question for you, and I do think this is a really tough question. The question is, why would someone not just say I'm not interested right now, but go as far to say in the future? Because to me, there's two or three conclusions we could draw. What are some of your hypotheses and why that would be said? I would say that I either didn't meet their needs at all or I just wasn't what they were looking for. I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to are you going to provide the service or the thing that they are looking for? And if you can't provide it, you can't provide it. I mean, at the end of the day, people know what they are looking for unless, you know, you have some amazing product that, (laughs) you know, that people are just baffled by as soon as they hear it. But most of the time it's they know what they look for. They know what they're looking for and they want that specific thing. And if you don't hit that, then you're not going to get their business. So I think Jasmine makes a couple of good points there. So let's let's just quickly go through them. Well, first of all, unmet needs. Right. So people, what did I say in the top of the show is that people protect their time. It's our biggest commodity. So if you took someone's time and they didn't really see any value that you provided them any value, they're not going to give you time in the future because they're too busy. You know, I, I, I read something on LinkedIn the other day. This was so funny. A guy said on LinkedIn, he said, don't ever, if you're a cold caller or a telemarketer, don't ever start a call with, do you have 15 minutes? Because, or five minutes or 10 minutes, because he said, it was really funny. He said, because if anybody in this world has five or 10 or 15 minutes extra to give, it sure as heck isn't going to be to a telemarketer. You know, it's going to be to their mother, their father, their husband, their wife, their sister, their brother, their kids, whatever. So it's just silly. And so when, when Jasmine talks about unmet needs, that's just it. If you haven't provided any value, and I have to tell you a very quick anecdote about this. I once was doing a sales training for a national company out of Ohio a couple years ago, and I said to the people that one of the things when I'm doing something called cold walking, when I walk in somewhere as a cold walker, I will say to the person, give me five minutes of your time, and if I don't demonstrate value in five minutes, you won't even have to tell me to leave. I'll walk out before you even get the chance. And so, not a word of a lie, a guy raised his hand And he said, well, what if I don't have anything to provide value in five minutes? I said, well, then you're in the wrong business. Because if you can't provide value in five minutes and you're in sales, you got a whole different set of problems on your hand. So number one, unmet needs ties into wasted time, right? Two, and this is big, and this is the subtle one that a lot of people miss. The second one is... This person may be fearful of their boss. Now, you may say, well, what do you mean fearful or intimidated or whatever? What I'm saying is when you are going to present something to to an owner or a boss or a general manager and you aren't set up to succeed and you're made to look bad and that person says, this isn't a good idea. Why are you bringing me this in the first place? I don't even see how this is going to help us. And if you aren't set up for success, to influence and motivate the other decision maker because of the feedback and the reaction that person may have received from the ultimate decision maker, they may not want to go through that experience again. And they don't feel like you're going to be the one to set them up for success. So that was powerful when they say, I don't want to, I'm not interested now or in the future. 
And last but not least, it ends with, I just don't want to see you waste your time or mine if there isn't a chance of us doing business. So what a perfect ending to the email. They're doing you a favor, right? Because they don't want you to waste your time. All the things in that email that were missed by the salesperson. So quick recap, just to summarize this whole thing. So here's all the things this, my client, this salesperson missed, you know, and this was an initial interaction with this client, right? So first thing they missed, right? They may not have understood the decision maker, who the decision makers were, how the decision's going to be made, and how effectively your champion or prospect could motivate the other decision makers. Two, prioritization. It wasn't clear from the get-go that your product or service or solution was even a priority in the first place. Three, interest level, right? What was the interest level? Well, they never really gleaned the interest level. I questioned him about your program. So they weren't the champion. They were never bought into what you had to say in the first place. Four, not going to talk to you in now or in the future. So now when the sales manager, the VP of sales, walks up to my client and says, how come we didn't get that deal? Ah, they just didn't. They were running in a million directions. The owner didn't like it. Because that's what the email said. The owner didn't like it. But the email also said about 10 other things too. So when you're a VP of sales and you're trying to understand and do autopsies to understand why deals don't happen or why deals get delayed, and dragged on, or we get ghosted. There's lots of reasons, and I assure you it's not the peripheral one you're being typically provided. So that is an example of reading between the lines in a a sales autopsy. Now let's take it a different direction, okay? We're talking about what happens when you have a call with a client to upsell the client and the different reactions you get. Well, if someone says, this isn't a good time, well, what do you read between the lines there? Again, it doesn't mean they don't like your solution. It means it's not an existing priority right now. Right? What happens if someone says, you know, it sounds intriguing. Come back to me at a different time. Well, again, the peripheral read between the lines is, it's not a good time. And then the salesperson gets super excited because come back at a different time means, Jasmine, there's still hope. Yay, I haven't been totally rejected or shut down. But Jasmine, how many people do you think say come back at a different time simply for the purpose of getting the person off their back so they don't have to say no? Exactly. Right? Not only that, but we get that a lot in terms of like, you've met some of my needs, but not all of my needs. So I'm going to go look elsewhere and see what's going to happen and maybe shop around kind of thing, right? Yes. That's a great point, Jasmine, because, you know, when I I, I teach this concept in sales and I heard a mentor say this one time, it's called happy ears. So when you're on the phone and you're prospecting, you're trying to upsell existing clients and they say, all right, no, yeah, give us a call back in a couple of months. We may be interested. The happy ears is good. It's not dead. I still have a shot as opposed to Wait a minute, what would they want? Why would they ask me to call back in two months? What would they want me to talk about? What would be interesting to them in two months? And how about this? What would have changed in two months? 
If now's not a good time, what will be different in two months? And by the way, that's a critical question. Because now, if a person struggles to answer that, then you might be learning that the read between the lines is they're just getting you off your back. And as Jasmine said, if you haven't provided enough value or interest, then it could be they're just buying time until they can find a better option. So, perfect example for someone prospecting when someone says, call me back at a different time. Now, what about this one? Okay. Come back with a proposal, they say. Yeah, this sounds interesting. Come back with a proposal. Well, what does that mean? So because someone's willing to see your service and product with pricing, that means they're interested? No, it doesn't at all. As a matter of fact, to tell you the truth, I'm going to be a very selfish buyer. If I'm your prospect, I'm going to, if I can get your price with your solution, it educates me. It tells me what the market is. It allows me to shop against other competition. I may have no interest at all. There may be no urgency beyond just me being educated on what something like this costs. But yet salespeople, when they have an opportunity to deliver a proposal, think that means that they're one step closer to the deal. And it may, but it may not. And reading between the lines means you're using sales emotional intelligence to be curious to understand what the proposal step actually means. What are the next steps after the proposal? What are you going to be doing with this proposal? Why are you asking for a proposal? Right? So those are all critical questions. And when we say someone's at the decision-making stage, right, what does that mean? And what does it mean when you're at the closing stage? So when we come back from our final segment, we're going to talk about what to do, how to do the autopsy to understand if you actually are at the decision-making stage and if you are at the closing make closing stage. For Mark Altman, this is I Communicate. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. So last segment of the show today, we're talking about, you know, reading between the lines and, and, and understanding the root cause of what, why something went wrong or why something's held up or why a deal is delayed and understanding and being curious. Talk about it all the time in communication, asking questions, not just probing questions, asking insightful follow-up multi-layered questions that get you to the answer you need. People don't typically cooperate when you ask them a question. I can't tell you how often I ask someone a question on a weekly basis and I don't get an answer to the exact question I've asked. This happened twice already today. Because people don't read between the lines and take the time to listen. They hear what you're saying, but they don't actually listen. So asking questions it's the ultimate form of, of, of communication, and it allows you, by remaining curious, it allows you to truly understand where people's heads are at and not assume and not default. So decision-making stage. Anybody ever heard this one? I need a little more time. Still thinking about it, though. We've heard that, right? 
So what do you do there? What does that mean? What, what, are the, what are we supposed to understand when someone says, I need a little more time? Well, again, the peripheral obvious response is they're still thinking about it. They're undecided. Well, that's, that's the simple answer. But if you read between the lines, they don't have all the information they need to make the decision is what they're saying. They're not totally bought in. So what does that mean? It means that if they're not ready to make decision and not totally bought in, you've got some more questions to ask there. Right? So you need to understand what the objections are and what the pushback is. And as I've said time and again, when you ask questions to elicit objections, pushback, challenges, hesitation, the idea is once you get this person comfortable enough to share why they're not willing to move forward. And by the way, I don't say that lightly. That's an art form in itself to get people comfortable enough and confident enough to share what their fears and concerns are. So before you even ask the question, you have to create the culture of communication to get people comfortable to do it in the first place. But assuming you do and you ask the questions, the idea is when people finally have the courage and confidence to share, then your job is not to defend and justify. Your job is to understand why those hesitations exist in the first place. So if someone says to me, Mark, I'm hesitant to move forward because I don't think your program focuses enough on continuous learning, well, I can start selling how my program does very much focus on continuous learning, or I could ask them why continuous learning is such a priority to them and ask what the real meaning and root cause is behind their actual questions, right? So reading between the lines is not just understanding why people have fears or concerns. It's understanding why they exist and understanding what they associate with those fears and concerns. So again, even I need a little more time, read between the lines. It's not just they're undecided. It's understand what's holding them back, the fears and the concerns, and the consequences of those fears and concerns. And then we have closing, right? So sometimes I'll ask salespeople, so what stage is this deal at? What stage is that deal at? Well, it's at the closing stage. What does that mean? It means that they have the contract. They just need sign-off. They just need approval. Well, guess what? How many times have you had a prospect or a client in your career where you just needed sign-off or approval, and then it lingers on forever, weeks and months? What if, you're a, what if you're a director level leader at a company and you've presented a, a new change initiative at the company and the, and the CEO says, yeah, sounds good. Let me take some time to uh, look it over and give you final approval. Well, in your mind, that's the final stage. In my mind, you may not have what you need. Because when someone is looking over a contract and needs sign-off for approval, There could be new concerns at that point. There could be lingering questions. There could be things that they still have been hesitant to ask because the culture of openness hasn't been completed. So the prospect still has lingering concerns that they haven't even shared. 
So what is read between the lines? Well, if someone says, send me the contract, need sign-off and approval, you don't get happy years and go, yay, once I get the signature, everything's all set. You inquire about what potential issues still may linger once the contract is reviewed. Here's one. What if you think the person you're talking to is the only decision maker? You've asked. You've done the right thing. What's the decision-making process? Who are the decision-makers? No, it's me. I make the decision. But what happens when the contract comes in? Does anybody else look at the contract? And do the other people that look on the contract, will they include other people in the organization during that process? And then all of a sudden, questions emerge. So when a contract is being reviewed, I might say to the prospect, do you anticipate any issues at this stage? Are your contracts typically signed off on pretty seamlessly? Who's involved in the contract? Is there anything I can do to make this process a little more seamless? There's a whole bunch of questions to ask there. But if the decision maker is your champion and is that one person, but but then other people come into the mix at the contract stage, then you got a, you got a different issue going. So there's nothing simple. And that's okay. Anything good in life doesn't come, e- come easy typically. You know? And so instead of getting frustrated that you have to remember all these things and think of all these questions, look at it the other way around. This is just good communication. Right? When you think about money, and this is a perfect way to end, end this segment today, When you think about money and when people say, well, I have concerns about how much this is, well, why don't you read between the lines on that? If someone has a concern about money, what does that mean? Is it their personal concern? Is it having to go to the people in charge of budget, the CFO or the HR department or the CEO, and ask for an increase in budget, something that person may not be comfortable with? They may think your solution is worth every penny of what it's what it costs. But there could be peripheral issues that unless you read between the lines and really become curious about the pushback or the objection and do the autopsy to truly understand, you're going to miss. So the cost of something, when people have fears around cost or budget, What about negotiation? We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. How many people, because of fears around negotiation, will pay more for something because they don't want to have to deal with negotiating for it? We see this with cars all the time. So reading between the lines, there's three big areas when you read between the lines. One is body language. You have to slow down enough to notice the messages that people are sending with their body language. Do they look confused? Do they look disappointed? Do they look exhausted? Do they look frustrated? When you identify someone modeling or demonstrating body language, what's the takeaway? What do you want to do about that? That's one read between the lines. The second is with listening. So one's body language, right? The second is listening. 
are you really hearing the words and the tone that people are saying? Do you hear it? Are you noticing a change in tone? Are you noticing words like actually or not at all or always or never? Do you pick up those words when you're listening to people talk with you? Two minutes. Right? So we have body language. What are the messages being sent? Listening. Read between the lines with tone and word choice. What are the messages being sent? And then, of course, the ultimate definition of read between the lines, which is written communication. And that's what we spent a lot of time on in this show today, walking through that email and what are the various meanings that that email could have. Listening to hesitation and pushback with sales stages and understanding when you read between the lines what else is missing, what is incomplete, what haven't I figured out yet. But I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to start paying attention to the root cause and the real reasons why things aren't happening. We can sit and be frustrated that things don't go our way and we're not able to influence decisions and politics and groups and we're not able to motivate our teams and prospects and clients. But we've got to start realizing why we're, we're not. We have to understand why. We have to understand what role we play in motivating and influencing others. We control our actions and thoughts. We cannot control other people. But we have a lot of ability to impact and motivate and influence human behavior. And when we blame other people and we say, well, we didn't get the deal because they said it would cost too much, it's just not true most of the time, the majority of the time. So let's get the right answer. Let's understand once and for all. Let's do the autopsy. Let's slow down enough to read between the lines. Let's do the pre-brief and debrief, and we'll become much more confident and effective communicators. So with that said, with that said, um, thank you again for joining the show. For more information, uh, contact MindsetGo, info at MindsetGo.com. Jasmine, thank you very much, and we will see you next week.